Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. Let me add uh, my welcome to those of us who are here on the King's Crossing campus and also say a special hello to the many who I know are joining us via the internet this morning. This live streaming thing is really cool because it means anytime you can't be here with the fellowship of saints at King's Crossing, you can still be a part. And so uh, as we do that from week to week, uh, it is a great, it's another tool and another great way for people to take advantage of uh, being able not only to check out the church, but also in their spirit to be able to worship as we do on Sunday mornings. Our uh, hearts this morning and our thoughts are with Mark and Carolina and Joaquin as they continue to grieve the loss of uh, Mark's grandmother. When uh, he asked me if I could step in, I was delighted to be able to say yes, but I am very aware that uh, I'm not the guy who usually does this, and I want to let those of you who are guests here today know that if you don't like the message or the messenger, just come back next week (laughs) because I won't be the guy doing it again next week, and we think you'll be blessed if you have a chance to do that. Uh, when, uh, When my girls were much younger, my wife used to travel a lot for her job, and, uh, you know, I thought we always did pretty well whenever she was gone. I mean, uh, at least as a daddy with, with two twin, you know, with twins that were very little, I thought I held it together pretty well. I mean, I, I kept the kitchen clean. I, I did some laundry. I managed to ask the kids whether they had eaten at least once a day and really kind of felt like I had a handle on running the house. But any of you men who've ever tried to do that know that you really are not running anything. You're just kind of maintaining I also, during those trips where she'd be gone for a week at a time, uh, learned something that is very important, and that is that man was not meant to fold fitted sheets. I can remember very vividly wrestling with one and finally just passing out, you know, and waking up 20 minutes later in a pool of my own sweat. Uh, those things are meant to go from the dryer straight onto the bed. Don't even, don't even take time to try to fold those things. Amen. Yeah, there are people who know, people who have been there and have done that. I was thinking about the, the trips that, that uh, she used to take, and it reminded me uh, about a man whose wife took a whirlwind trip through Europe. And she was seeing all the sights, going to all the big places, and she called home one night, And before they hung up, she said, by the way, how's the cat? Dead, the husband said. She was stunned. She said, honey, honey, you don't have to be so honest. You have ruined my trip. Why didn't you break it to me slowly? And he said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you could have told me the cat was on the roof. And when I called you from Paris, you could have told me that he was acting sluggish. And then when I called you from London, you could have said the cat was sick. And when I called you from New York on the way home, you you could have told me the cat was at the vet. And then when I arrived home, you could have told me he was dead. Now, the husband thought that was crazy, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm so sorry. I guess I just wasn't thinking. She said, well, it's all right. By the way, how's mom? 
Husband said, she's on the roof. <laughs> Some things are meant to be communicated directly. If you have a Bible, you'll want to open it this morning to James chapter 3. Just a couple of verses that we're going to be in there. And I talk about things that need to be communicated directly, and I think of James because, boy, that's exactly who he was and how he communicated. You know, I don't know the, the, the first person who said, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. I doubt it was the former Cowboys coach, Jimmy Johnson, although he became famous for that. It may have been James who was the first one to say that because it pretty much sums up his powerful letter. If you've never read the book of James, I encourage you to do that because you will discover that what he really says in everything in there is, show me your faith by the way that you live. In other words, he really wants to know and he really wants you to know that what you believe ought to impact how you behave. There cannot be a disconnect between the two. And so he lays it on the line, maybe more than any other New Testament writer, when it comes to telling Christian people that it's not enough just to talk a good game. You have to actually get in there and play the game. And he begs us in several spots not to be deceived into believing that all we have to do is look good on the outside to make sure everyone thinks that we were really pursuing God. He tells us instead that it has to start on the inside and then work its way out, that people need to see who we really are. Many years ago, the French novelist and playwright Alexandre Dumas, who wrote The Three Musketeers, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Man in the Iron Mask, he got into a heated quarrel with a rising young politician, and they finally determined that the only way to settle the argument, as I guess they did at those times, was through a duel. Now, they were both superb shots, and they knew that if we have a duel, we're just going to end up shooting and killing each other, and so they decided they were just going to draw lots, and whoever lost would have to shoot himself. Dumas lost. Pistol in hand, he withdrew with dignity to another room and he closed the door. His friends waited anxiously. And after much gloomy suspense, they finally heard the shot fire. They ran to the door and they threw it open and there was Dumas with the smoking revolver in hand. And he said, ha, I missed. <laughs> When it comes to diagnosing our own spiritual health, I have discovered that for me, and I, I suspect this is true for you as well, when it comes to diagnosing where we are and how we're doing spiritually, it is very easy to miss. We end up doing things in the name of religion that keep us busy and help us look really good to other folks. We have our quiet times, we give consistently, we may occasionally volunteer for a ministry, and yet it is still very easy, even in doing all of that, to miss the mark in being what God had in mind for those of us that he calls his children and for those of us who are a part of church. And so James writes to help us with our aim, so to speak. The way he does it is he gives the church a description of what real religion looks like. If you have ever wondered, you have to wonder no more. 
because James says this is where it is. And so it's two verses at the end of chapter one, but they are so powerful. In verse 26, he says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, I love this because what he's doing is he is contrasting worthless religion uh, with religion that he says is pure and is genuine and is true in the sight of God. The tension in this particular text is not choosing between Christianity and a cult. He's not talking about choose Christianity over some other false religion. The tension here is choosing between authentic Christianity and artificial Christianity, between real faith and phony faith. He says, child of God, that's the decision that you wrestle with every day. Which will it be? And James says that you can recognize genuine faith because it produces a certain kind of result. You know, we got this crazy idea in America that faith is personal. We will say it. Faith is a personal thing, and and what we really mean is that it's a, a private thing. We confuse personal and private. Now, the Bible encourages us to have a personal faith, but it never says it should be a private faith. Well, you know, she's, she's deeply religious. She, she just doesn't really show it much. In other words, you have to tell me she's religious or otherwise I wouldn't know. It's like pointing at an orange tree and saying, even though it has no oranges, this is an orange tree. Okay, I'll have to take your word for it because I don't know one tree from the next, but there's nothing there that would prove it. And James says that when you are walking the talk, there is no such thing as a private faith. If it is real, if it is real, it is going to show itself. Now, he points out three areas where that's going to happen. And by the way, I don't think these are the only three. Don't read them that way this morning. I also in no way think that this is an exhaustive list. We could probably think of some other things that would go here as well. But I do think it's important for us to at least look at because it illustrates the kind of fruit that you will see in the life of someone with a genuine religion. First of all, he says, religion that is pure blesses when it speaks. I saw a poster one time that said, be careful not to get caught in your own mouth trap. And I've always liked that because James could have written it. Just like a doctor, he says, if you want to diagnose sick religion, the first thing you do is you stick out your tongue. He says, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Now, of all the things that he could have picked to say, this is real religion, he starts with the tongue. Isn't that amazing to you? Maybe it's because he knows that our words are a window to our heart. And sometimes how you speak reveals what the heart conceals. I have always said that what is inside of you will ultimately 
come out, especially in stressful situations. So what does he mean when he says control the tongue? Well, we immediately think of it in the negative context, don't we? We think, well, what he's telling us is that we got to control what we say, control our speech. We got to stay away from foul language. And we have to stay away from coarse joking and especially from gossip, which for whatever reason has always tended to plague Christians. And, And we should try not to gripe and we should try not to complain too much. You know, that's what we think he's talking about. And while none of those things should be a part of the life of a believer, there is also a positive side to controlling the tongue that I don't want you to miss this morning. It's not just keeping from certain things, but it is also, as James tells us, doing certain things, using your words for good. I think James, first of all, wants us to have a vertical speech, one that praises God for his magnificence, one that through our words praises God for his holiness. We've done that this morning, haven't we? Through the songs that we've sung about the awesome power and the greatness of God, we have used our words to praise him. I think that's a part of it, but I think definitely James also wants us to have a horizontal speech, and that is where we intentionally bless and encourage others. You know there is nothing that compares with somebody taking the time to say something to you because they know it will encourage you. When you hear that, you can live off that for a week, can't you? Or how about getting a card in the mail and knowing, wait a minute, it's not my birthday and and it's not Christmas. You get a card in the mail out of the blue just because. Does anything make you feel better? Now, Go a step further and imagine that if you could find a group of people so determined to be real in their religion that they actually practiced blessing each other with their words. You see, I've got this crazy idea that if people knew that when they come to church, somebody was going to walk up and say something that built them up, they'd want to be here, and they'd be here a whole lot more. And what if those of us in this room took that to work? And what if we took it to school and we took it to the community and we made a point to try to build up everybody through everything that we say? Don't you think that you might just stand out at your job just a little bit? Oh, that guy. I love being around that guy. So positive. Oh, such an encourager. Don't you think that people might want to be around you more? if you would practice what James is telling us is a part of real religion. Folks, there are plenty of people who are in line to beat somebody up with their words. James says, not you. There are plenty of people in line who will use their words to try to to, uh, discourage you in some way. James says, not you. Not if you're trying to practice real religion. You are one who blesses others with your words. Here's the second sign of what real religion looks like. He says, religion that is pure stresses personal holiness. Again, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. We're going to come back to that one in just a minute. And refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
Hear it again. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means refusing to let the world corrupt you. One thing about Jesus is that he was consumed with a desire to reflect the Father through his life and through his character. In everything, Jesus was holy. Now, have you noticed how that word holy can be used in such a derogatory sense in the world that we typically inhabit? If somebody at work or school or maybe a friend of yours were to say to you, you know, what's wrong with you? You think you're holy or something? Your immediate response would be, oh, no, 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 not at all. (laughs) Not me, not, not at all. Until you stop to realize, wait a minute, that's exactly what God has called me to be. He has called me to be holy. I think sometimes we confuse it and we think holiness means I'm perfect. None of us is perfect starting with me and moving right on down to you. None of us is perfect. You remember that saying, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? I understand that, but I don't think it's accurate because we're more than just forgiven. It's not as if we're just like everybody else in the world. The only difference is we're forgiven. No, 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 no. We are forgiven and we are holy. And somehow we have de-emphasized calling people to live pure and holy lives because it sounds too much like we're asking them to be perfect. But that is not at all what it means. All it means to be holy means to be set apart for God. In the Bible and in history, the temple was holy because it was set apart for God. There was no other building like the temple. We talk about the Holy Bible because there's no other book like it in the world. In the Old Testament, as we were talking about earlier, the Sabbath was holy because it was a day set apart for God. Then the New Testament comes along and it says, guess what? You be holy. You are set apart for God. It is not about perfection. It is about direction. Am I intentionally moving in a direction that makes me look more like my father. If I'm going to be set apart for God and if I'm going to say yes to him, then it means I have to say no to some other stuff. You cannot say yes to God if you have been saying yes to some of the stuff that God has nothing to do with. You have to ask yourself every day and everything you do, if I say yes to this, how does it help me to be holy? How does it help me to be set apart for God? Religion that is real stresses personal holiness. And then the third and final sign of real religion. Religion that is pure addresses the needs of others. Verse 27 again, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, I want you to notice something here. I I, I emphasized it a little bit, that word and. When James originally wrote this letter, the word and was not there. It's not really two thoughts joined together as much as it is one thought with two expressions. This is a very important connection to grasp. Helping other people in need is one of the ways that I keep myself from being corrupted by the world. 
You see, I can't be holy if I'm not serving people. Because that's what God set us apart to do. There are just two commandments that Jesus himself lifted above all others. He said, I want you to love God with all of your heart, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And has it ever dawned on you that you cannot do the first, loving God, if you're not keeping the second, loving people? When you are holy and when you are set apart, God is going to send you to help people, particularly the people who can never return the favor. And when you do that, do you know, James says, family, that is a sign of real religion. When you help people that you can't name drop, when you serve people who cannot enhance your career or your reputation in the least, when you actively love people who are always going to need more than they give back, then you've got the kind of religion that God loves. And you may be thinking, man, Mike, I got enough problems of my own. How on earth do you expect me to help anybody else with theirs? But listen, maybe the best cure for your own troubles is to serve others. There's a, there's a great story about a United Way worker who went to the office of the small town's most successful lawyer. And that volunteer worker talked to the lawyer and said, you know what, we've done some research. And we've noticed that uh, you make over half a million dollars a year, and yet you have never given one penny to charity. Why is that? And the lawyer says, whoa, 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 whoa hold on. You've done research on me? Well, did your research tell you that my mother is dying after a long illness and has medical bills several times beyond her annual income? And did your research tell you that my brother is a disabled veteran confined to a wheelchair? Research? Did, you, did, 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 your, did your research tell you that my brother-in-law had a heart attack and left my sister penniless with three kids to raise? And the United Way worker, embarrassed and humiliated, said, no, no sir, I'm sorry, I really, I, I didn't have any idea. Research? Yeah, you're right, you didn't have any idea. And if I didn't give any of them money, what makes you think I'm going to give any to you? <laughs> Everybody's got problems. You've got problems. I've got problems. And James is saying, the mark of real religion is when you're not so preoccupied with your struggles that you can't be concerned for somebody else's. In fact, I want to suggest to you that serving other people is one of the ways that God ministers to you in your struggles. You got problems? Go find somebody to help and see what happens. One of the ways that God heals you when you have trials is by using you to bless somebody else. You probably remember the old book, Chicken Soup for the Soul. It spawned a, a bunch of copycats. But in the original, I think it is, there's a fellow named Dan Clark who recounts this story. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you remember reading it. Once, he says, when I was a teenager, my father and I were standing in line to buy tickets for the circus there was one family between us and the ticket counter. 
That family made a big impression on me. There were eight children, all probably under the age of 12. You could tell they didn't have a lot of money. Their clothes were not expensive, but they were clean. The children were well-behaved, all of them standing in line two by two behind their parents holding hands. You could hear them talking excitedly about the clowns and the elephants and the other acts that they were going to see that night. And one could sense that they'd never been to the circus before. It promised to be the highlight of their young lives. The father and mother were standing at the head of the pack, proud as could be. The mother was holding her husband's hand and looking up to him as if to say, you are my knight in shining armor. And the husband was holding her hand and beaming with pride and saying, you got that right. The ticket lady finally asked them how many tickets they wanted, and he proudly responded, please let me buy eight children's tickets and two adult tickets so I can take my family to the circus. The ticket lady quoted the price. The man let go of his wife's hand. His head dropped and his lip began to quiver. He leaned in a little closer and he asked, how much did you say? And the ticket lady again quoted the price. The man didn't have enough money. How was he now supposed to turn and tell his eight kids that he didn't have enough money to take them to the circus? Seeing what was going on, my dad put his hand into his pocket. He pulled out a $20 bill and he dropped it on the ground. He tapped the man on the shoulder and he said, I'm sorry, sir, maybe you didn't notice this fell out of your pocket. And he handed it to him. Now, the man knew exactly what was going on. He wasn't begging for a handout, but he certainly appreciated the help in a desperate, heartbreaking, embarrassing situation. He looked straight into my dad's eyes. He took his hand in both of his. He squeezed tightly onto that $20 bill, and he said, thank you, sir. Thank you. This really means a lot to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car and drove home. We didn't go to the circus that night, but we didn't go without. Family, God wants us to love him with all that we have, and the chief way he wants us to do that is by looking out and loving one another. And when your religion starts to get that simple, then you have begun to walk the talk. Real faith is not just what you feel. Real faith is what you do. In the Gospels, every time you see the phrase, and boy, it's there a lot. Every time you see the phrase, Jesus felt compassion, it then tells you next what he did. He knew when they needed loaves and fishes more than a sermon and a prayer. And his brother James says that is still the defining mark of true religion. Real faith works in real life. It blesses when it speaks. It stresses personal holiness. And above all, it addresses the needs of others. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father in heaven, it is so good to be able to take time and just to look at even a very small part of your word and to to know and to feel instinctively how much it impacts us 
and how much, Father, if we will allow it to, it can change who we are and how we represent you on this earth. I pray today, Father, that you will just remind every one of us in the ways that we live, through the things that we do, through how we speak, through how we interact, that our goal, Father, is to practice not the phony, fake religion the world gives us, but rather the pure and genuine religion that our brother James talks about. Father, I am confident that from this moment forward, you're going to give us opportunities to do that. And I pray that we will, through the help of your Holy Spirit, stand up and meet those challenges when they come. Father, thank you for blessing us the way that you do every moment of our lives. And we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to you, our great Redeemer and Savior. Amen. On the back of your there is a QR code. If you want to use that at some point, it doesn't have to be now, but at some point, if you want to scan that with your phone, you'll be able to let this congregation and its leadership know about certain needs that you have. We encourage you to use that anytime you can, whether it's something simple like a change in your life or maybe there is a point where you've come to where you just want to know that somebody is praying for you. Use your phone and do that. If you don't want to use the phone or you're thinking, I, I wouldn't know how to really do that, we're going to offer a time right now as we sing this song, and I think some of our uh, shepherds will be down front. If you'd like to come and just pray with them or talk with them, we'll encourage you to do that as we sing together. <laughs>